I, uh, I'm excited to be sharing another episode uh, of the podcast. Uh, for those of you that, I mean, if you've been long listeners of the podcast, you probably have noticed a change in the way that we're naming the episodes now. Uh, we went from just kind of giving them a date to actually switching over to episodes. And so tonight we are going to be on episode number five since we've made the switch. And this is this this week's episode is a continuation of last week's episode, which was a new series that I started. And uh, just a little bit of a backstory on that. Uh, I didn't know I was really starting a, a new series last week until really um, just a day, maybe the day of the teaching. And I had spent the week um, just honestly, I'd been spending the week talking to I call it the church police all week on Facebook. You know, the church police, the legalists, the ones that like to take the word of God and beat people over the head with it and use it as a weapon. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been arrested by the by the church police. I mean, I, I, I've been in church jail, so it's not a fun place to visit. Uh, it's not a fun place to visit when you're being judged and, you know, as a... As, oh, you know, anyway, we got some issues in the church, don't we? Amen. But you know what? We're human. We, we, we got issues in the human race. And so the church, when, what, just because you believe in Jesus, just because you've heard the gospel doesn't mean that you're issue free. So, but anyway, that was kind of my inspiration. I felt like from the Holy Spirit that I needed to do a series where people could come and really just figure out what it is that Shalise preaches. What is it that she actually believes? You know, I needed just a kind of a foundational that way, you know what? Love me or hate me. At least you know where I stand. And so I, uh, I, I decided to call the, um, the series, the gospel according to Shalise. So I figured that that might just make some, you know, the church police mad right off. And, you know, who knows if they'll even listen because they'll, they'll, you know, they'll get too mad to even listen to the, to the, to the good news. But, you know, all of us, all of us that are following Jesus honestly have a story. We have a story. We have the story of the good news according to whoever we are as his, as his disciples, you know, whatever your name might be. And my story is, is a pretty powerful one, honestly. And I encourage you, um, to go back uh, and listen to episode one, because it really talks about kind of my journey to, uh, meet Jesus, my journey to move from a religious understanding of the gospel, uh, of hearing, you know, what was supposedly good news. And I, for me, the good news was you're not going to go to hell if you believe in Jesus, but into this experiential relationship with him. And uh, it's an awesome story. It's an awesome journey. And it's a, a very long journey for me. It's a, taken me many, many decades to truthfully understand what it means to be, you know, Christ crucified. What does that actually mean? When Paul said, you know, I determined to know nothing except Christ crucified. What does that actually mean? And so tonight I want to continue on the journey of telling the gospel according to Shalise. And it is going to build on, uh, like I said, episode one. But I kicked off uh, my story and my, my presentation of the gospel with a very familiar scripture. And I'll just do a quick review. I said, it's probably the scripture that everybody memorized in, in Sunday school. It's John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He beget, he, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I had a very uh, different understanding of that scripture, honestly, when I first heard it. 
than I do today. And last week, I won't go through all of it because I spent a lot of time unpacking uh, what that scripture truly means. But tonight, I want to, I really want to hone in on probably what has been one of the biggest struggles of my life. And I believe it is, it is at the root of why we have, uh, what I call the Christian police, uh, is that I, I really truly believe that people have misunderstood what Jesus accomplished on the cross, not just for the church, but what he accomplished for the entire world. And in John three sixteen, when it says that God so loved the world, I think sometimes we get, we get lost in that we we lose that we lose that understanding of God's love for the world uh, because we've lost we we have never grasped honestly uh, really what Jesus accomplished on the cross and so I want to jump off tonight obviously in a in an unusual place to kind of be sharing the gospel but I actually want to go back to Genesis and I want to go back to uh, Genesis chapter. And I want to go back to, if you've been in traditional evangelical circles and you've grown up in an evangelical world, either a traditional denomination or even a in, in the Protestant denominations, or you've grown up even in a more charismatic uh, experience, then you, at some point, <laughs> you have heard about the fall. And for most of us in the, in learning the gospel and honestly in presenting the gospel to others, we have made this, this act in Genesis chapter three kind of the starting point of our presentation of the gospel. We don't, we don't always do it like we don't take people to Genesis when we're presenting the gospel to them. We just kind of come at it from a place that men are evil, men are sinful, and therefore in need of a savior. And we we talk about it from the perspective of that since Adam and Eve's disobedience, uh, we have all been born with a sin nature, that we have all been born underneath this fall. Another way of saying that is we are we have been born in Adam, and that because we are in Adam, uh, we are in need of a savior. And so I just want to talk about what happened here in Genesis. And I want to talk about this understanding of the gospel. And I want to talk a little bit about what some other scriptures say about this. So in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, uh, in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, excuse me, was more crafty, subtle, and skilled in deceit. Man, that's this is the amplified version. But he was subtle, skilled in deceit. He was more crafty than any other creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on that day, on the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened That is, you will have greater awareness, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. 
And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her. And he ate. And the eyes of the two of them were opened. That is, their awareness increased. And they knew that they were naked. And then, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day, so that the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled and deceived me, and I ate from the forbidden tree. Now, I want to just, before I start to expand on any of this, I want to go over to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is another kind of understanding of what happened here, or a deeper understanding of what happened here in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, let's um, start here. Let me go here. Start him. Let me just see where I want to start. Okay, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it, or escape its power because they all sinned. It says sin was committed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law against it. Yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, Christ, who was to come, but in reverse. Adam brought destruction. Christ brought salvation. But the free gift of God is not like the trespass, because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. For if, if many died by one man's trespass, Adam's sin, Much more abundantly did God's grace and the gift that comes by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to benefit the many. It says, nor is the gift of grace like that which came through the one who sinned. Wait, nor is the gift of grace like that which came through the one who sinned. For the one hand of the judgment following the sin resulted from one trespass and brought condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift resulted from many trespasses and brought justification, the release from sin's penalty for those who believe. It says in verse 17, for if by the trespass of one Adam, death reigned through one Adam, 
much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in eternal life through the one Jesus Christ. Okay, I want I know that's a lot to read. And Romans 5 is pretty deep, honestly, when you start to read through that because it's a compare and contrast between Adam's trespass and Jesus's uh, obedience. But I want to I want to say this that since the fall of man the human race has been let me say this and just say it the way I'm going to say it here has been obsessed with good and evil. Uh, we have had a consciousness of of good and evil and when I I'm going to say it a different way we have had this idea of good and evil branded in our consciousness to such a degree that whether or not we even realize it or not, we have been engaged in this activity of judgment since that day. And the consequences of that, when we're really, uh, and you can see it in Adam and Eve's behavior, that when they knew that they had trespassed um, God's commandment, they they hid themselves. They covered themselves. And it says that they hid themselves from the presence of God. And I just want to submit to you tonight that Jesus came to undo what Adam did. Now, this is probably not the first time that you're hearing that. And Romans 5 is, is really the uh, this beautiful explanation that that is exactly what Jesus came to do, that Jesus came to undo what Adam did. But I really want to talk about what is this, what is this, what are the consequences of this? Like, what does this actually mean that Jesus undid what Adam did? What it means is that he, that Jesus severed our relationship with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In another way, it, it, it says it in different ways throughout the, the epistles, is that Jesus severed our relationship with the law. He, he, I like the way Romans 5 talks about the fact that when there is no law, you can't, in, you can't, you can't judge people as sinful. <laughs> but it said death was reigning. Death was reigning even though there was no law. Between, between Adam and Moses, people were still dying even though there was no law. Even though there was nothing to hold them guilty to, there was no standard by which God could say, you're guilty of this. Death was still reigning. But there's an interesting concept in this that, you know, all throughout scriptures it talks about the, that, that, that the law, the ministration of the law is death. In another scripture, it says that the wages of sin is death. And so since Adam, death, this death has had been reigning because of this relationship that, that, that entered into the earth with this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, really what it does is it sets human beings up in a place that is only reserved for God. Meaning that we become the judge of what is good and what is wrong. What is good, what is bad, 
what is righteous, what is not righteous. But even more than that, I want to talk about this, that the law itself, the law of Moses, the law of right and wrong, sets up a system of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is a way of determining whether we are good or whether we are bad. And if you follow the rules, guess what? You're good. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're bad. And another way of saying good and bad in Bible talk is righteous and unrighteous. So if you follow the law, if you, especially if you, you know, we're an Old Testament, uh, Jewish, Old Covenant, in covenant with God in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament, then you were, you were declared righteous by the law or you were declared unrighteous by the law. And so there's this whole concept of righteousness that I don't know that I really ever understood growing up in the church. I don't know that we really had a whole lot of sermons on that growing up. If we did, I didn't remember it. But I did, the, the thing that I didn't realize also growing up under that, because I grew up in a very legalistic, very, uh, when I say that, it was very, you know, I, I talked about this last week, but I mean, we, we, we had an altar call every week that we went down and we rededicated our lives every single week. Because once you got saved, you know, you felt clean for about, you know, maybe a day. And then you would mess something up, right? You know, either that or you wouldn't do all the things you should be doing. You wouldn't read your Bible enough. You wouldn't pray enough. You wouldn't, or maybe you just, you know, maybe you lied. I mean, I was a kid, but, you know, whatever little kid's sins are, you know, you just would mess it up. And so every week you would go back down to the altar call and you would rededicate your life, which was like kind of like a promise to try to do better. And then you would try for the next week or the next, you know, and guess what? By the next Sunday, you needed to rededicate it again. So it was just this constant, this constant relationship with a, with rules. It was a constant relationship with this, um, this effort to be good, this effort to be a good Christian, this effort to be a good person. And none of us, <laughs> except Jesus Christ, can be good enough. Uh, there's scriptures that talk about, and I'll, I'll find the reference for you while I'm sitting here, uh, it, but there's a scripture here that says, everything that's not of faith is sin. So even if you, you know, don't necessarily do anything overtly bad, well, you know what? You're probably not believing perfect in every area of your life. And, you know, if you know to do good and you don't do it, then that, then guess what? Then the, 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 the law requires perfection. The tree of knowledge of good and evil to be good means you've got to be good in every single area. So that scripture is uh, Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. But this relationship with this tree of knowledge of good and evil, which eventually then came the law, has set us up in, in frankly, in the world and in the church on this performance-based, judgment-based system where 
We get rewarded based upon our performance. We earn blessings. We earn promotions at our job, right? We're on this system of performance and earning and, and trying to be good. But really, the gospel is a annihilation of that entire way of being, that entire way of thinking. And it identifies that when you're living under the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when you're, when you're living under the law, you are living under a form of self-righteousness. And whenever you are in that place of self-righteousness, you are an appointed judge. Even if it's just the judge over yourself. Right? But, but most, most self-righteous people, uh, if you're like me, the way it, the way it manifested in my life, you know, is, is, is trying to be good all the time and never being able to be good. I tell you, that, that's pretty frustrating. And after a while, many people that, that live under that, Say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even going to try anymore. I'm just going to rebel altogether from this law. Right? Um, other people <laughs> just have judged themselves, I guess, able to do it. I'm not sure because that wasn't me. I judged myself as unable to do it. But this self-righteousness, this is, is, is got to be completely eradicated out of our out of our consciousness. The, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil has got to be replaced with the tree of life. And the tree of life is a righteousness that is apart from the law. It's, it's apart from the knowledge of good and evil. It's a righteousness that comes through our relationship with God. It's a, the righteousness of faith. It's the righteousness <clears throat> that comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Now, our preoccupation with right and wrong is honestly what's given rise to the Christian police. Uh, because the Christian police have adopted an entire way of thinking that says it is their job to protect the righteousness of society. And that they get to sit. Now, granted, they use the word of God. They use the law. It's not their law. It's the laws of God. They get to sit in judgment over others in the place of being right or wrong. Now, the reason that this is not okay is because no one but God has the ability to be the judge. Because only God can judge the motives of the human heart. And Jesus' standard for judgment, by the way, is much greater than the written law. He says you don't even have to act out on a particular commandment to have done the commandment. That if you commit adultery in your heart, you've already committed it. <laughs> so from his perspective, he, he takes it, he's like the law to the extreme. Meaning you don't just have to behave perfectly, but you've got to even have a perfect heart. I mean, you can't even think of these things. 
You can't even desire these things. You know, people think, well, hey, I was tempted, but I didn't, I didn't do it. Well, Jesus is saying, when you even think about those things, it's the same as doing it. So the standard, let me tell you, the standard's really high. And it truly is a standard, but that no one, no one but Jesus has ever been able to obtain. So it's really, it's really a standard of perfection. And the only perfect one that has ever lived has been Jesus Christ. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because I want us to really recognize that when you believe the gospel, when you awaken to the reality of what Jesus has accomplished, your relationship with the law has been completely, utterly severed. And you no longer get to have a relationship with it. You don't get to have a relationship. You you really have divorced. You've died to the law. And a lot of us have yet to realize this. And we're we're still fellowshipping with this forbidden tree. We're still eating of this tree of this good and evil and the result of it is a lot of pain in our lives and, a, and honestly, a very painful representation of Jesus to the world. So I want to go into Romans 6 here for a moment, and I want to read this. And I'm going to read it in, I'm going to read in the Passion Translation because I really like the way Brian Simmons brings out a few things here. In Romans 6, in chapter 1, it says this. Verse 1, so what do we do then? Do we persist in sin? Let me go back to Romans 5 for a second because I want to read it in context. Let me just read this a little bit. Okay, (laughs) so good. Uh, Let me go back to, let me just go back to verse 17 where I stopped a moment ago. It says, death once held us in its grip and by the blunder of one man, Adam, death reigned as king over humanity. But now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so perfect, so through the one righteous act, of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us into a victorious life is now available to all. Let me just say that again. The perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all of humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So listen, it says, so then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. 
And just as sin reigned through death, so also the sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus, our Lord and Messiah. Now we'll go to Romans 6. It says, so what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? Verse 2, what a terrible thought. We have died to sin. And for all, as a dead, once and for all, as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus were immersed into the union of his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of a new life. It says, Verse 7, obviously a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we now know that we will also share in the fullness of life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. It says, so for by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. He now lives continuously in the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourself as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. It says sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. It says, verse 14, sin will not conquer you because God already has. You are not governed by the law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Now, I, that's a whole lot of scripture for me to read early in a podcast. And they're, they're, they're deep, deep, deep scriptures. But I took the time to read it because the reality is that a large percentage of the Christian church does not have any clue, a, really, I mean, a real deep understanding of what these scriptures are saying here in Romans. They don't really understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus was the undoing of Adam. But more than that, he was the undoing of you. He was the undoing of an identity that most of us have lived with our entire lives. Because we haven't understood what it means to live in union with God, because we haven't understood what it means in you know, Galatians 2.20 when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I mean, these are, these are difficult words. To, to, to we, can, we can understand them maybe intellectually, but how do we actually live out of a place where we have ceased to identify with a version of ourselves that is apart from Jesus and apart from his righteousness. Where we we have assumed an identity of holiness and righteousness and a relationship with the law as though Adam never sinned. It's a completely different, not only just a different identity, it's a completely different identity. a completely different reality. And not only is it a completely different reality, it's a completely different way of being. 
and a completely different way of thinking. It's a completely different, it, it is a, it is a new creation. It is a brand new way of existing in a fallen world. It's a brand new way of relating to yourself and relating to other people. It's as though Adam never ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the only thing that we know is Christ crucified. The only thing that we know that Christ was crucified, not just for you, not just for me, not just as me, not just as you, but for the entire world. And if you haven't really dived into Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8, then there's a good chance that you are still falling into the trap of relating to yourself as someone you're not. And here's the problem with that trap. When we, when we have not yet learned to relate to ourselves as the righteousness of God through faith. And I, when I say with that, it's not, it's not a righteousness apart. It's not a righteousness in and of yourself. It has a righteousness that has nothing to do with yourself. It's, it's a righteousness that you possess because you live inside of Jesus and there is no you apart from him anymore. But until you've got that about yourself, you cannot get it for other people. And what you end up doing is you end up putting other people under the law because you're still living under the law. And you know how to know if you're living under the law? You know you're living under the law when you do not have a good opinion of yourself. When you have a, when you are at war at yourself or you struggle to love yourself or you struggle to, uh, have peace with yourself, to have a positive self-talk about yourself, if you are, if you are free from the law, you, you do not, you don't have, you aren't accusing yourself. You're not sitting in the judge over yourself. There's not that, that critical self-talk that goes on in your head because that self-talk is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That negative self-talk, that accuser that lives inside of your head comes from religion. It comes from a, a being a legalist. It comes from a relationship with the law. And you cannot enjoy the fruit of your salvation. You cannot enjoy the peace of God, the love of God, to the fullness of the extent that God has provided that for you when you are still living under the law in your relationship with yourself. And so what we do a lot of times in the church is we make it all about sin. We make it all about our sin. We make it all about other people's sin. Instead of making it about Jesus' righteousness, Because righteousness, I like the way Brian Simmons said this in Romans chapter 5. He said this, he said, And just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it says sin-conquering grace reigns through righteousness. If you want to, if you want to be right and you want to 
I mean, that's, that's one of the ways that Christians know that we're actually born again is that in our hearts, <laughs> in our hearts, we agree. We agree with what is good. We agree with the law. In our hearts, we actually want to do those things. But when we have an identity apart from Jesus trying to fulfill those things, that's when we get on this treadmill of frustration. We get on this tread because it's not the grace of God. It is simply human effort. But the grace of God is what empowers us to live righteously. It's honestly what empowers us to believe we're already righteous. For when we believe that we're righteous, the acts of righteousness will follow. I'm going to say that again. For when we believe we are righteous, the acts of righteousness will follow. For my, in my own life, because I had been so baptized in this legalistic approach to my relationship with God, and the fruit of that was a legalistic approach in my relationship with myself, this concept that I was righteous, even though I could hear it, the righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is something that, you know, God has offered to me through the cross. I did not have the ability to believe it honestly at a subconscious level. And I struggled greatly with condemnation and guilt and shame as a result of that. And so for me, I really had to attack I really had to attack condemnation. I had to attack this, this unrighteousness consciousness. I don't know what else to call it in my own life. And I, I used scripture to do that. I used the gospel. I, I spent a good, I don't know how long, probably at least five years really understanding the gospel. And when I really got a hold of this, it literally changed everything for me. And let me just read this one scripture that I I used to say to myself all the time. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it says, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation because it's so clear. In the King James it says, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But here in the Passion Translation it says, for God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. So that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. See, our union with Christ changes our status. (laughs) It changes our status from sinner to righteous, from unrighteous to righteous. And it changes it in the core of our, our being, and, and to think when Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that I am crucified with Christ. See, you and I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I get that it happened 2,000 years ago. I get that you weren't even alive yet. I, I, you know, I get that you weren't physically there. You physically weren't nailed on the cross with Jesus. 
But this is an invisible reality that happened. And this is the hope that we believe in. This is the gospel, is that there is no you that exists apart from Christ. The old you that you are punishing and judging and feeling guilty and condemned over and still acting out of has been nailed to the cross, died with Jesus, was buried with Jesus, no longer exists in, from, from God's perspective. The problem is he, he, he exists or she exists from your perspective. I mean, how often do you really think about some of these scriptures, that I am crucified with Christ, that I am the righteousness of God? And I mean with a real understanding of it, with a real revelation of it. Not just like we're spouting it off like it's a, like it's a parrot, like we're parrots that have learned it and we can say it, but we aren't, it has not been assimilated into our way of being. And I, I'm harping on it because the way that we see the world and the way that we see other people is being completely poisoned because we don't understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And we have no problem pointing to other people and pointing out their sins and judging people and putting them under the law when the whole reason Jesus came is to set people free from that kind of relationship. Let me just say this, even with each other. So I remember I would just say that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.21 over and over and over and over again to myself. You know, last week's, in last week's podcast, I talked about the very first encounter I had with Jesus and how I was a little girl and he found me hiding behind this rock. And, you know, as I was hiding behind this rock, he came, he's like, I've been looking for you everywhere. Where have you been? And I looked up as a little eight-year-old girl to him and said, I've been a bad little girl. I've been a bad little girl. And, and the reality of it, is that most of us, a lot of us, a lot of us are walking around with a belief that we are a bad little girl or we are a bad little boy. And we aren't really connected to that necessarily consciously. But there is an innate feeling in our, in, if we're really honest with ourselves, that says there is something wrong with me. I'm just going to say that again. There's this innate belief deep inside of us somewhere that says something is wrong with me. And that innate belief that something is wrong with me is driving all kinds, let me just say it, of sinful behavior. And not just sinful behavior, all kinds of destructive behavior. All kinds of destructive other beliefs about ourselves because we believe there's something wrong with us. And what I am saying tonight is that the gospel is the announcement that what was wrong with you has been murdered. The gospel is the announcement that that no longer exists. The badness that torments you no longer exists. It was nailed to the cross. It was crucified with Christ. You're like, but I still feel that way. I still, I still struggle with this, Shalise. It's because you haven't believed this. You have not necessarily maybe heard this. 
and you have not, like I, you know, I mean, when I, when, when Jesus came and found me and I'm like, I'm a bad little girl, you know, the next part of that story, which again, I told very, in a lot of detail last week was that, you know, he said, go and take a, to, go and take a shower in my blood. Go and take a shower in my blood and wash all of that condemnation and all that shame and all that guilt away in the, in my blood. See, the blood of Jesus, it talks about this in Hebrews. It says it purges our conscience from every dead work. The, the blood of Jesus, it, it, it literally has the ability to, pur- to, when I say this, to cleanse, to cleanse your conscience. At a, at a subconscious level. And that's what needs to happen. We need to be cleansed from sin consciousness. We, we need to have that entire consciousness of badness, the, the effect of the tree of knowledge of good and evil completely cleansed from our conscience. It's not enough to hear the gospel, to know intellectually that you're one with God. The Holy Spirit wants us to integrate with with Jesus at a subconscious level. He wants the union that we experience with Jesus to be a reality that we live out of. He wants the identity of who we are in Christ to be the reality that we are, are being. We're being one with Jesus. We're not saying we're one with Jesus. We're not, we literally are abiding. We have become, we have become new creations. And that is the, what I want to say, that is the most powerful process that the Holy Spirit takes us through. And it is the process of renewing our minds. It is the process of getting us into agreement with what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And I will say this, I really believe this with all my heart. I believe all of our struggles I believe every single struggle that we as human beings experience starts with a belief that we are somehow independent from God. Because we have been programmed with this independence our entire lives. And we have been programmed with a false identity our entire lives. And when we look back on our individual life stories, we can begin to see how that false identity was perpetuated in our life. And we can, we can start to also see the work the Holy Spirit has to do. He's got to go into those belief systems and completely eradicate all of that unrighteousness, all of that shame and all of that guilt and all of those, uh, all of the consequences, if you will, of us growing up not knowing who we really are. And when you look at people who have yet to meet Jesus, who haven't heard the gospel, who aren't in a place to even maybe want to hear it, when you recognize your own struggle, (laughs) when you start to recognize your own struggle to figure out who you are, to really wake up to the good news, and to understand the gospel for what it really is. I'll tell you, you you start to have compassion on people of where they are. And I also think that it's so important that we recognize that that trying to make people be righteous and do the right thing 
apart from a relationship with God, is one of the most legalistic religious things that you can actually expect from another human being. And it is also an indication that somewhere, somehow, you've forgotten where your righteousness comes from. And that you are living under a false sense of pride that somehow you're good. (laughs) That somehow you've got it together. And apart from Christ, there is none of us that have it together. It's very, it's, it's one thing for a sinless man to look at someone and say, go and sin no more. And it's another thing for someone who is not perfect and not manifesting sinlessness to look at someone and say, go and sin no more. That is a hypocritical stance. And it is why Jesus said, you without sin throw the first stone. Meaning, you are no one here has the right to play judge or play jury. The only person that could have thrown a stone, by the way, was Jesus. When he said, those without sin throw the third stone, well, guess what? He could have picked one up. Instead, he said, woman, where are your accusers? Because they all left. He said, where are they? He says, well, I don't condemn you either. He said, now go and sin no more. Which, let me just say this in my own estimation, I think that was an impossible command to tell that woman. Because I, for her to sin no more without the grace of God being on her life, how, how does a person become sinless without the righteousness of God? How does someone actually become righteous without the righteousness of God. So it, to me, it's a paradox. When I, when I even, even that sentence to me is a paradox. But the religious spirit always wants that. It, sin no more, sin no more, sin no more, sin no more. And that is the program that plays in our own heads. And I will tell you, that is not how we get free. We get free by living out of a completely different identity. We get free by recognizing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we stop identifying with any other version of ourselves that is separated from Jesus. Now, I'm praying that made sense tonight because I read a lot of scriptures here, but this really does have to be, if nothing else, I feel like it's an invitation for you to open up your Bible, to crack your Bible open and begin to read what the epistles say about your identification with Jesus and to begin to wrap your head around this idea of righteousness by faith and righteousness of the law. You know, again, it was not something that I was taught growing up. I mean, I've been in church my whole life, didn't even learn learn about righteousness until I was in my 30s. And it's a, it's a concept that this idea of righteousness is, is such a important, oh, it's just such an important thing. Because it really is this answer there's some, to this question. There's some, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with you? What is wrong 
with the world? What is wrong? And God returns back and says, what is right? What is right with the world? What is right with you, my child? What is right with the lost? What is right? What has Jesus done? I mean, that's the, what has Jesus done? What has Jesus done for the world? What has Jesus done for you to make it right? The question, what is wrong, is the wrong focus, is what I'm saying. And it is the focus of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This constant focus of what is wrong, 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 what is wrong. That is what we are hiding from. That is where shame comes from. It's from something is wrong with me. I've got to cover this up. I've got to hide from this. I've got to hide from God because there's something wrong with me or something wrong. But the Father has never seen you, has never seen me, has never seen the world through the eyes of the, of the fall. He does not look at humanity and look at what's wrong with them. He does not look at you and see what is wrong with you. He did not look at the adulterous woman and see what was wrong with her. He has always and from the beginning seen us wrapped up in Christ. He has seen us from the very beginning, before the fall, is wrapped up in Christ. And last week I talked about Ephesians chapter 1. I did a post on Facebook this week about, you know, just from God's perspective, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1 it says to be holy and blameless in his sight, and that in the fullness of time, that's what Jesus Christ accomplished. But from God's perspective, he's not, he has never been obsessed with what's wrong. Jesus was not plan B. He was always plan A. And Jesus is the way to seeing yourself the way God has always seen you. But Chalice, what about the way I've acted? What about the things that I've done? What about, what about all of these sins that I've accomplished? What, I mean, that I've done. What about all this, these horrible things that I've done? What, what are you saying? What are you saying about those things? What, what do you mean? Like I, I'm, I'm saying that God does not define you by those things. I'm saying that you are not defined by your sin. You are defined by his son. I'm going to say it again. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by his son. And the moment you recognize your true definition, I mean, you, how can you live out of an identity that you don't even know? How can you be someone you've never met? 
I'm just going to say it again. How can you be someone you've never met? I mean, and, and, and this is, this is the, the, the hardest thing, I think. I mean, because by the, when Jesus really got a hold of me, I mean, you have to remember. I mean, I, you, you don't have to remember. I have to remember. I mean, here I was. I'd been in mental, you know, in, in therapy. I'd had mental illness issues. Had been abusing substances for 27 years. 28 years by that time, uh, you know, had very, just a, just a, just a, a scattering behind me of destruction in my life, just a, a wake of destruction in my life and a very shattered relationship with myself and honestly in need of deliverance. I mean, just straight up demonized, oppressed, and struggling with demonic forces in my life. In bondage, in, in ways that, unless Jesus came and delivered me, they was going to stay that way. Needed a miracle. And, you know, to start there, to start in that messed up of a mind... And obviously that messed up of a life is a result of a messed up mind like that. And to see the Holy Spirit, to watch the Holy Spirit, and to meet Jesus and remember the way that they talk to me. You know, I had grown up under religion, so I had plenty of that. It was a part, one of the biggest problems, honestly. But, you know, Jesus never, Holy Spirit, never, they never came to me and said, you need to clean up your act. You need to stop doing that. That is an abomination. That is disgusting. That is whatever, what, however language you want to put on what was going on in my life. Now, I'm telling you, if there had been some religious people, if I had let any of those people actually in my life, that isn't what they would have said to me. But that's not what Jesus said to me. All of the visions I had, every encounter that I had with Jesus, including the one when I was eight years old and said, I've been a bad little girl. You know what? Jesus didn't say, yes, you have. Get upstairs and let me give you a spanking. No, he said, get up there and take a blood shower. And all the other ones, I, I, I was with, I, he was always like, I was always like this princess. I was always showing me as a, myself as a princess. But, the, but, but then he would show me how I was acting was like I was some kind of pauper. You know, he would just show me like, you just, you're a princess. Quit. He was just more like, act like a princess. Look, you're a princess. It was a revelation of being a princess. It wasn't a revelation of being a horrible, wretched person. It was a revelation of who I was. He wasn't coming to me, condemning me for who I was being. Let me say it again. He wasn't coming and condemning me for the way I was living or the way I was being. 
It was a revelation of who I was. It's like, have you ever seen the movie, I think it's called Trading Places, <laughs> with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd? It's like an old, I don't know if it's a 70s movie or 80s movie. It's a really funny movie. I don't know if it has bad language in it. It's been decades since I've seen it, so if I'm recommending something that's going to offend you, just ignore all that. But the point is, the movie is basically Eddie Murphy's like this bum, and Dan Aykroyd is like this very wealthy guy from the west side of New York or the east side of New York. I can't remember exactly, but the bottom line is they end up trading identities. And so Dan Aykroyd becomes the bum on the street, and Eddie Murphy becomes the rich guy. And it's the process, and it doesn't take that long, of how they actually begin to take on those identities. And before you know it, not too long, Dan Aykroyd really, act, he's like acting exact. He's not in, he's not in denial that he's a bum anymore. Like he's come to like think, yeah, I'm pretty much a bum. And Eddie's taken on the whole idea of being the rich guy. Like, I mean, he's always been a rich guy, never been a bum. And, and the point is, is that when they stepped into this new identity and this new life, they took it on. They took on the persona of this new life when they started seeing themselves in that as that persona. And that's what happens. That's why it's point. I mean, why it's not a, that's why a sin focused gospel or a sin focused identity is going to produce more of the same. But a righteousness focused identity is always going to produce more of the same. Uh, another scripture that I would say to myself really early on, one was that, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Another one that I would say to, uh, that was, you know, very frequently said to me um, all the time by myself, I would say it to myself rather, was this uh, scripture from 1 Corinthians 15.34. And it says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Now, different trans, you know, I, some, honestly, I feel like there's certain translations that, boy, it's just, it, it makes it worse than, and, but there's, that's why you need to really look at the Bible with multiple translations of the Bible. Because some of the translators have really taken words out of context and they've made it mean things that was never the intention of the original Greek. I mean, for example, if you read Romans 5 through 8 in the NIV translation, you're going you're gonna to come away with that thinking that you've got a sin nature and a righteous nature because of the way the translators handled those scriptures. But a believer, well, for that matter, I'm just, let me just say it this way before I get everybody mad. <laughs> Righteousness by faith, that righteousness that you have through faith in Jesus Christ manifests a sinless nature. You do not have a sin nature and a sinful nature. Your sinful nature is what was crucified with Christ. That old man is what was, what was crucified. It's what was buried. And the you that rose again with Jesus and rose as a new creation is the one that arose is the righteousness of God. So my point is, I was just reading the scripture in um, 2 Corinthians 15 here, that 
there's a couple of translations in that that you may want to look at and make, well, that sounds, that's, that's, just want to read multiple translations. 1 Corinthians 15.34, awake to righteousness and sin not. This is probably one of the most powerful, um, powerful scriptures. It's, it's telling you where to focus. Awaken. Awaken to righteousness. Awaken to your new identity. Awaken to what Jesus has done. Awaken to what's right with you. Awaken to what is right with you. And let me say this. Awaken to what is right with everybody else. How about awaken to the, the, what is right with the people that don't even know there's, that what Jesus has done for them yet? Why not, why don't we awake to what's right with them? I tell you, and God is waking us up to this. He's been waking us up since the book of Acts. You know, I said, I, I, Peter, when he went up on the, on the rooftop and, and, and the Lord was trying to get him to, to go preach to the Gentiles and to recognize that salvation was just not for the Israelites, that the Messiah was for the whole world, not just for, not just for God's chosen people. He told him, you know, he, here he goes into this trance and he tells him to rise up and eat. And there's all these unclean animals in the sheet. And, and Peter's freaking out because he's like, I have never put it, I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. And he's like, rise and eat, rise and eat. And then he tells Peter, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. What I have cleansed. And I just want to, I want to propose to you that when God so loved the world, he didn't just love the ones that he knew was going to choose him. He loved all of us. And he cleansed all of us on the cross. There's just some of us that have realized it and some of us that haven't. And if you want to know the truth, there's a lot of the church that hasn't realized it. They may believe Jesus died for their sins, but they don't know what he did for them besides that. And so I think the church is waking up as much as the, those that aren't in the church need to wake up. I think there's an awakening that needs to happen across the board. But a lot of that has to do with the fact, and, and the church police come out, the, the really reason the church police are even, have even formed is because they have not realized what I have taught tonight. Is that there is no righteousness apart from Christ. And I tell you, they will argue and get mad and get mean because they believe that by preaching this, it gives people a license to sin. And the truth is they've already got one. They've already got one. In John 3, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And I love the lyrics I love the lyrics of a song by Stephanie Gresinger that says, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. You don't have to cover what I already see. We don't have to hide from the presence of God like Adam and Eve did in the garden, thinking that he's going to condemn us or that he's going to shame us or that he's going to guilt us Because the truth is, where are you going to hide anyway? He already sees it, and he's not condemning you. He's not condemning you for what's wrong with you. 
when he already became that for you. He's not condemning you for what's wrong with you when he became that for you. And he's not condemning that for anyone. He's awakening them to what's right with them because of what he did for them. And it's a completely different way of presenting the gospel than coming at it from a, you know, when we start with Adam, we start with you're a sinner. But when we start with Ephesians 1, we start with you were chosen. You were chosen. You were chosen to be perfect. You were chosen to be adopted. You were chosen to be in God's family. You were chosen to be made righteous. You were chosen. Jesus put you into himself on the cross. And he became everything that could separate you from from God. It's good news. You've been reconciled. It's good news. Receive the good news. Receive what Jesus has done for you. Believe the gospel. Repent from believing you're separated from God. Believe the gospel. And it's a very different presentation. And it, and it and the implications of it not only change the way that we see the world, they change the way we see ourselves. And truthfully, you can't see the world different. I mean, you can't help but see the world different when you really start to see yourself different. You are so overtaken with gratitude and humility and thankfulness for what Jesus did for you. You can never, you could never imagine putting yourself in some, some place other than the receiver of grace, the receiver of this incredible gift. And I, I for one, I never want to go back under that old system. I, I'm not very good at it. I think some people actually can kind of be good Christians. You know, I mean, maybe not from God's perspective, maybe not from the perfection perspective, but at least they look good. See, that's the thing about religion. It looks good. Your heart's stinky, but it looks good. It doesn't smell so good when you get up close. You can smell it, even though it looks good. I tell you, sinners can smell it. People that know they're, you know, they can smell it. People that don't know the Lord can smell it because it's stinky. Self-righteousness is super stinky. It's really stinky. And it's what keeps people from wanting to to know the Lord. Because mistakenly, they think he's like you. But, you know, when you really understand what Jesus has done, the, the fruit of it is humility. You know, it says, I love it, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. And all that means is that you hunger and thirst for righteousness that is not your own. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that apart from Christ, they're nothing. Right? 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the pure in heart just means that you just recognize what Jesus has done. You're pure. You don't have any self-righteousness in there. There is nothing in there that acts like I have a purity apart from the Lord. I mean, that, that, you can read it, though, from a place that says, well, I need to be pure. Well, it's impossible. Apart from the Lord. But when we, when we receive that from the Lord, ah, we get his heart, our heart becomes his heart. It's a melding and a union of the hearts. And truthfully, we don't get to take credit for that either. It's something Jesus did to us, and we just wake up and it's like, you know, you went in and got cosmetic surgery or something. You wake up and you look 50 years younger and you feel 50 years younger and your heart's light and you're just like, whoo, that was a good surgery. Ha, huh, I look so much better. I feel so much better. Ha, huh, I just, I, was, I have such a deep debt of gratitude to my surgeon who did this for me. You were just kind of asleep the whole time and it just said, he did it to you. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. Well, Father, I just pray that Oh, just that the scriptures that, uh, even just that I read tonight, Father, I pray that this would become each person's personal revelation, Father, that this would not be, I don't know, just another sermon or presentation of the gospel, Lord, but that you would, you would use it to uproot the lie that something is wrong with them. But you would use it to uproot the lie, Father, that there is a, a good them and a bad them, that there's a them at all that exists apart from you. And Father, I pray that you would just go back through each person's history. Father, go into the subconscious minds of the listeners, Lord, and into the memories that have defined them and have caused them to believe in a version of themselves that is less than who they are in you. Father, I pray that even while they sleep, God, that you would that you would be healing their hearts and their image of themselves. Father, I pray for a renaissance, a revolution, an awakening, Father, in their in the deepest recesses of their hearts and of their minds, God, that would forever change them, God. I'm I'm asking you to give them dreams even now, Father. I'm thinking about dreams that you gave Joseph and how men just set his course. It just set the course of his life, God, as a result of those dreams. I'm thinking of dreams that you gave kings, God, that were so disturbing to them. They had to seek the man of God to get an interpretation. Lord, there are, there's powerful, there's power in dreams. And I, I know this is you, Holy Spirit, even asking me tonight to release that. I just release a supernatural, um, undoing, whoo, undoing of Adam. The undoing of Adam, God, I release that. It, through just dreams that people are having, Father, through their, through their quiet times, through meditation, Father, just through any means necessary for them to encounter the truths, Lord, that you walked me through. You walked me through. You walked Paul through. He said, I did not receive this revelation from man. I re- received it from Jesus Christ. Lord, I think the same Holy Spirit is in each and every listener. And so, Lord, I just release them into that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and the knowledge of what you have accomplished, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the hope of their calling and what is the greatness of your power that is inside of them, Lord. 
that you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead and you set him at the right hand of the Father, far above powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that that is the one that is ruling and reigning in their lives and in their hearts. And so I just pray, Father, for a recognition of that, for an awakening of that, Lord, that the gospel would become flesh in their life, that the word would become flesh in their life, God. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Yes, and I just, I encourage everyone that's listening to the podcast, um, I encourage you, you know, if you have, if you haven't heard about Emerge School of Transformation, I just really encourage you to check that out. Pray about becoming a part of that because the purpose of that school is really to have the Jesus Christ inside of you emerge and become real to you so that you can wake up to who you really are. And so that, that program exists really to help people in that capacity. I also encourage you to partner uh, with the ministry. Go to shalice.com and uh, sign up to become a monthly partner. Uh, give uh, to the ministry because we are preaching this gospel. We're preaching the goodness of, of God as far as we can take it. And so you, when you give, you are a partner in that and you are empowering that and you are making that possible. You're making these podcasts possible and you're making uh, Emerge School of Transformation possible. So I just encourage you to partner and to give generously. And so I just bless you and I pray that you've enjoyed today's uh, message and you will tune in for a continuation of the gospel according to Shalice as I continue to unpack it every week. Alrighty. God bless you and uh, we'll talk soon.